we're going to be talking about identity. It's who you say I am. It's not what others say about me, right? Because you see, a lot of people get their identity from what other people say. Or they get their identity from what they do, how they perform, what they do at work. Some of you may be working 70, 80 hours a week, and your identity is wrapped up in your job. That's where you get the strokes. That's where you get the affirmation. But I want to tell you, when you go to Scripture, Scripture identifies who we are, and it's based on who we are in Jesus Christ. He defines who we are because of whose we are. If we belong to Him, then we can say that our identity flows out of the well and the reservoir of who He is. So no longer do I have to perform for anybody because the performance has already been done on the cross with Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And because of His finished work, I am now what He says about me. And what He says about me is different than what the world says about me. So our identity is in Him. So we're going to start a study in the book of Ephesians. And the whole first chapter is about who you are. In Jesus Christ. It's about your identity. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. We've been rescued. You know, Harvey wasn't too long ago, and one of the things that we would see at Harvey was these amazing rescues in the midst of devastation. We would see people literally on the roofs of their houses as they had eight, nine, ten feet of water. And we would see in the midst of the rising water, and if you think about it, the, right, the sin in our life that is rising up, we would see people that would be with a helicopter coming in and rescue someone, pull them out of the devastation, and we as a people would celebrate that rescue. So I want to tell you in Ephesians chapter 1, it's only worth celebrating the rescue of Jesus Christ in our lives. He has pulled us out of the sinking sin, and He has put our feet on solid ground, and it's all because of what He's done. Therefore, my identity is not based on what I do. It's based on what He has done for me. Is your identity based on that? Paul says, something happened to me and I have been changed. I have a new name and I have a new identity. And so that that was introduction. That was free. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're really glad you're here. Thank you for singing. What beautiful worship. And we want you to know that the worship is about Christ. The message is about Christ. Everything is about Him. And I want to just confess to you, years and years and years ago when I was preaching, I would actually get my identity based on what people would say to me after the message because I was still very insecure. I knew I had Christ in my life, but I would still let the world's way. So if someone didn't say to me after the sermon, oh, that was a great sermon, I would go home and I could literally fall into depression if I didn't get enough yeses or attaboys or good job. Can you t- I can tell you something, I'm 54 years old. And it does not matter to me, and I don't say this pridefully, it does not matter to me what you say about me or about the message that I preach because I know that my identity is now wrapped in Him. And let me tell you something, that's why I can preach the gospel freely and fully because I already know that I'm approved by Him. I'm not doing this to get somewhere, I'm doing this because I'm already secure in Him. And you're going to see identity in this chapter. In fact, my identity 
identity because it's in him when somebody else is preaching, when it was Wade and it was Zach and now it's me? Do you know what? I was the biggest cheerleaders that those guys had because usually I would say, oh, I hope they don't do very good because, see, that would affect my identity. But now that God has hopefully grown me in the fact that I can be the biggest cheerleader for anybody because I'm telling you, your identity is found in Christ just like my identity is found in Christ. Here's how we know that. Christ has taken us in a life of sin, and he's rescued us. He's pulled us out of life before him and put us into life with him. And what he pulled us out of is what he puts us into is always greater than what he pulled us out of. So that's why we can be secure today. We're just going to talk about identity. And I pray that God would use this in your life. I pray that God would use this. So we're going to study the book of Ephesians. And a lot of people... They just skip the greeting when they start a book study. That's the worst thing you can do. Every word is inspired. This is God's inerrant, inspired, and infallible word. And so notice how it starts out. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul. Stop right there. Paul, the author, gives his greeting before. He doesn't sign the letter at the end like we sign letters at the end. You know how we write something and then we say, from Freeman or from John or from so-and-so? He identifies himself as the author right from the beginning. Now, Paul had a change in his identity because before he was Paul, he was Saul. So go back to Acts chapter 7, if you will. Let me give you just a little background here. Acts chapter 7. And Paul was... uh, Saul was in Acts chapter 7, he was there when Stephen, a full of God man, was dying. So he was witnessing what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, for someone to be filled with the Spirit. And Saul had a job description, and Saul hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. He, uh, he was arrested by the Christ of Christianity, and his motivation and his job was to arrest Christians and kill them and persecute them. So it doesn't sound like he was a very good candidate for salvation. And so in Acts chapter 7, we see how Paul was uh, seeing uh, Stephen, he was being uh, murdered, and Saul was there, and he was holding, at the last part of verse 7, he was holding the, cl- the clothes of those Uh, that they were killing Stephen. It was a young man named Saul. So that's who Saul was. He was a persecutor of people who belonged to Jesus. And then Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, look at the text. He made havoc. That word means he's a crazed animal. That's what he was. Of the church entering house after house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Does he sound like a candidate for salvation? Does he sound like a candidate for someone who would get a new identity? I don't think so. And then if you go into Acts chapter 9, you see in chapter 9 verse 1, then Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the disciples And then what happened, so he's breathing out. His very breath was murderous. So you see, Saul had his name changed from Saul to Paul because later on in Acts chapter 9, now you can go back to Ephesians, Acts chapter 9, Saul became Paul. Saul was saved. He was rescued by the grace of Jesus Christ, and he was sent as an apostle to the Gentiles, and he was chosen by God as an instrument. So I want you to see in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle, 
So it used to be Saul, but now Saul has a new identity. It's Paul. That's what the gospel does. It changes our identity. He doesn't say Saul a murderer. He doesn't say Saul a Pharisee of Pharisees. He doesn't say Saul a Hebrew of Hebrews. Notice what he says, Paul, I have a name change because I've had a heart change. And see, that happens with us when we trust Jesus is our Savior. He gives us a new identity. So there's two callings here, from Saul to Paul, and then he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. The word apostle would be one who would be sent with a badge. I remember when I was a student pastor, I got stopped right out here in front of Stutchbury Elementary by a police officer. God bless him. I was going through the school zone. I had left the church parking lot. I'd left a meeting and I got stopped. And the first thing he did was pull out his badge to identify who he was. Now, I can fight that badge and I can fight that authority, but that doesn't change the fact that he was sent. Now, what you got to understand about Paul is he was sent not by his own power. He was sent by the power. He was an apostle that laid the foundation of the church, the teachings of the gospel. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's his new identity. This is who you say I am, as the song says. And then he says in verse 1, it's by the will of God. It's by the will of God because in Acts chapter 9, it talks about how Paul was a chosen instrument. By the will of God. The will of God is simply Jesus Christ. It's not so much about a plan. It's about a relationship with a person. And that person, God the Father, had the plan to send God the Son to the cross. And so we see here that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he's identifying himself. Now watch this. This new identity gave Paul a new humility in his life. Listen carefully. When, when we've been changed by the gospel, we don't walk around proud. We don't say, look at me, I have a new identity. I have a new name. By the grace of God, we walk in humility. And humility is when we get so low that people don't see us, they see him. That's humility. So Paul, the author of the book of Ephesians, is writing to a church in Ephesus. And he's pulling out his badge and he says, I'm identified with Jesus Christ and I have been sent with him, by him for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I'm going to confess something to you. I, I think I told you this. And this sounds proud, but it's not. I'm going to end up with humility, I promise. One way or the other. Uh, I played... Uh, Football, basketball, and baseball at Dobie in, in 1983. I think I told you I was most athletic. Can I tell you something? I played football my freshman year, and I hated football. So I didn't play my sophomore year. And all my friends pressured me. They said, oh, you need to come play football. You need to come play football. I didn't play my junior year. But they put so much pressure on me that I decided to give in to the pressure high school pressure, of my identity being wrapped around sports and athletics, that my senior year I gave into that identity and I said, you know what, I'm just going to play football because on Friday night when I would wear the uniform and I would hold the helmet, that my identity would come from that team which I was involved in. And, and, but after high school, when I had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, I looked back at that and I was trying to build my own identity in myself. And so I had to let go of all that and said, wait a minute, God says my identity is found in Jesus Christ. And so I was trying to 
perform for people, and there was nothing like a Friday night in, uh, at Pasadena Memorial High School at the stadium and wearing Adobe uniform number 85. I would get my identity. I would get my strokes. I would get scholarship offers until I realized, you know what? That means nothing to me because now that Christ has identified me as one of his, now my identity comes through the lens and the grid of Scripture, which means I don't have to wait for someone to say anything about me. I just believe what God's already said about me. That's where your identity comes in. Paul, look at this, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now watch this. Paul not only sees his own life in light of who he is in Christ, but he also sees other people in light of who they are in Christ. Look at the text. To the saints. Now, you're either a saint or you're an ain't. It's just that simple. You're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. You either belong to him or you don't belong to him. You're either living in sin and need to be rescued from it or you've crossed over into his marvelous light by the grace and power of Jesus and you have a new identity and you're a saint. So a saint, he's writing to people, he says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Notice the location of the saints. They're in Ephesus. Now let me tell you a little bit about Ephesus. This will make sense to you in a moment. Ephesus was a city of idolatry and adultery. You see, they would worship the goddess of Diana in Ephesus. The whole city was built around worship to the goddess of Diana. And so there were families that were given over to sexual immorality and children and parents. It was all built around idolatry. And here you have a person, listen to me, you have a murdering terrorist who's writing in his new name. He's now an apostle of Jesus Christ. So you have a murdering terrorist who's writing to people who are worshiping false gods, and he says, your identity has been changed. You are in Christ. You are saints who are in Ephesus. You've been set apart by the gospel. So, so what would happen in Ephesus if they were concerned about it because their whole economic structure was built around the worship of the goddess Diana. And so if the gospel penetrated Ephesus, then their whole economic uh, structure would fall and crumble. But Paul was penetrating the gospel there. And there were people that were grabbing hold of this message of Christ in you and that Jesus Christ can make a difference in your life. And so they were taking that and they were saying, hey, our identity has changed. What was the identity of Ephesus? It was the goddess of Diana. Now Paul says, wait a minute, the identity of those of you who are followers of Jesus Christ is, it's no longer Diana, it is Christ in you. It's Christ in you. So the gospel began to penetrate. So you've got to understand the identity that's changing here. Notice what the text says. To the saints, still in verse 1. Don't worry, when you start thinking about how long this study is going to take, don't think about that. Don't think about that. You've got to get this background. This is called spade work. This is called work that helps set up what Paul's fixing to tell us. So it's to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. Do you know what happens to us when we have a new identity in Jesus Christ? When we trust Jesus as our Savior and He places His life in us and now our identity flows out of who He is, not what we used to be, do you know what happens to us? God produces a faithfulness in our lives. He produces a faithfulness. You don't just get up and say, oh, I think I'll just be faithful today. No, listen, it is his faithfulness that now resides in me. And so now the motivation that I have to be faithful is not a church, it's not 
somebody putting pressure on me. It's because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. And now I can be a faithful person in Him, in Jesus Christ, in Ephesus. That's what the text says. So it's like this. When you think of that preposition in, it's a word, it's used 12 times here, I think, in these first few verses in uh, chapter 1. It means in Christ. It means you're one with Him. An illustration would be if I had a glass of water, which I could use. Not, not right now, but I could. So a glass of water, and I had a tea bag over here. If I take that tea bag and I place it in the water, instantly the water is one with the tea, and the tea is one with the water. And the longer that tea bag stays in that water, the stronger the tea becomes. So that's the image that Paul's trying to talk to us about here, about who do you say that I am? I am who you say that I am. So he's writing to the saints who are in Ephesus, who are faithful with the tea in the water and the water in the tea. You can never separate the water from the tea or the tea from the water because they are one. And I have good news for you today. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you are one with Him. Your identity comes from Him, and you are in Christ. You are not locked up in a uh, toolbox like tools would be locked up in a toolbox for safety. You are united with Him in a relationship that's forever and forever and forever. And it's by the will of God. It's God's will for you to be in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, wait a minute, I've got two towers that I want to talk to you about in verse 2. Then he says, grace to you and peace. So grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace would be that Greek greeting, but in the Christian world, it's a world that God says grace to you. Grace to you from God our Father. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. That's what he says. So he says grace to you. Have a good eternity. You're now in me, and you're faithful in Ephesus, and it's because of the grace that came from God the Father. So God the Father has a plan, and God says to you this morning, grace to you. Do you get up in the morning and feel guilty over something you did years and years ago? Why? When you've been forgiven for your past, present, and future sins, you don't have to say guilt to you. God says grace to you. Have a good eternity. Live in the identity that I have given you. That is grace. Grace is God's undeserved favor. Grace is anything short of hell. Right? He's given us Jesus, so anything short of hell is grace. And you don't have to go to hell. You can choose to have your identity in Jesus Christ. So Paul says, while I tell you that I am now Paul and my identity's changed, I'm still going to greet you with grace. Then he says, grace to you and peace. Peace is not an absence of war, but it's a settled peace that Paul says is in your spirit. Grace comes first, and because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ, you can now have peace. When you lay your head on the pillow, you can have peace at night. I'll confess to you, I've had some rough nights sleeping. I have. And I've read Psalm 3, and I just pray Psalm 3, that God, you lay me down to sleep. And I pray that you would rise me up in the morning and awake me, for the Lord has sustained me. 
But that grace that I have and that peace that I have, I can go to bed at night not worrying about any of the sins that I committed in my life because they have been washed away. And God has given me grace through Jesus Christ so I don't have to feel guilty. My new identity is in Him. So in all humility, I give praise to Him and I say, thank you, Lord, I'm going to bed. I don't have to worry about anything. I don't have to fear anything because I fear the one who gave me the gift of salvation. And my life is wrapped in Him, not in football, not in preaching, not in what anybody says about me. It's in who He is. And some of you today could be free if you would realize your job does not define who you are. Your mate does not define who you are. This church does not define who you are. Jesus Christ defines who you are. And when that gets a hold of you, you can know for sure not only who you are, but whose you are. And you can praise Him for the rest of your life and never have to perform for anybody and be free from all that because of His finished work. That's good news in verses 1 and 2. That's really good news. Because some of us get on a treadmill of performance and you can never do enough to please anybody. But Jesus Christ, through the plan of God the Father, Jesus pleased the Father, followed the plan, executed it on the cross so that you and I could have an identity that defines us. Grace to you and peace. Look at the text. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I thought Paul was a Trinitarian. He is. God the Father. Grace and peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. And guess where the Holy Spirit is? The third person. He's already in Ephesus, in the people. The Holy Spirit's already working. So you have the law firm of God, God, and God. Not three gods, one God expressed in three ways. One in essence and one in nature. Grace to you and peace from God the Father. It's the work of the Father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, dying, His purpose was to die on the cross for our sins. And the Holy Spirit indwells us. And He's already over there in Ephesus. So now what Paul is saying is these Ephesians that are finding their identity in the goddess of Diana... No, when you're in Christ, you don't worry about Diana. You are a part of a bigger family and have a new name. So then he says, look at this, look at verse 3. Oh, this is so good. Blessed, what do you say about all this? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Do you see that? Do you see this amazing gift that he talks about? Every spiritual blessing. Are you waiting to get, for God to give you something that he's already giving you as a gift? You know, most of us, we want to thank God for, we want to tell God, you know, I need this and I need this. When's the last time you thank God for what he's already done and already given you in Jesus Christ? He says here, I have given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places which is located in Christ. One of my friends one time says, have you gotten the second blessing? And my answer to him was, I don't need a second blessing because the Bible says in Christ I have all the blessings and they're located in him. I'm enjoying everything that he's given me. Now, if I don't enjoy it, it's not because I don't have it. It's because I haven't appropriated by faith that which God has already given me as a gift. Blessed, look at the text. Blessed, that means to speak well of, to speak favor. Blessed be the God and Father. Praise go to God 
and our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Thank you very much. God bless you. The Holy Spirit, he, see, it's God the Father, God the Son, and then in Christ, in Sagemont, there we go. Holy Spirit, led him to bring me water. You want application to that? Give me a tea bag. I'll drop it in here. I'll show you who you are in Christ. Beautiful. All right. I bet you wish you had some of this. Now watch this. Paul is going to take us, and we're not going to get there this week, 3 through 14, he's going to talk about all of the blessings that are already ours because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And people debate this. They have theological wars over this. Churches split over some of the terminology in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And I think God is sad about that. I think God says, why would you divide over that which unites you? And what unites you is, I gave you this as a gift. And this is a spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. So it's like the grand finale of all the fireworks going off on July 4th in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. It's just an explosion of doctrinal truth that we shouldn't debate over. We should praise God the Father and the Son for what He has done for us that comes in the spiritual blessings in Christ. Notice what the text says. Blessed be God the Father, that's the one who's worthy of praise. And our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. In other words, God the Father had the plan. But he has blessed us. Well, we're not very blessed worthy because we're located in sin. We are born in sin. We're born separated from Jesus, from God. We have no relationship with him. So how could God the Father bless us? Because we're not very blessed worthy. He can bless us because what he sees is what Christ has done for us. And when we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, then we can read this and say, who has blessed us? It's a blessing. It's God's favor. It's his love for us. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Uh, there's a story about Mr. Yates. Mr. Yates was a farmer. He had a lot of debt. He had a big farm, but he had a lot of debt. And one day he was over there at his door looking out over his farm, and there was a, a knock on the door. And a gentleman was from an oil company. He said, Mr. Yates, would you mind if we drilled oil on your land? And Mr. Yates looked at his bills, and he thought, you know, it's probably not a bad thing. Would you like to try? Sure, go ahead. Drill some oil. They came back, and they drilled for oil, and they discovered oil. And they came to Mr. Yates and said, you are a millionaire. You're a millionaire many times over. Now, here's the question I have for you. Was Mr. Yates a millionaire at the time that the guy knocked on the door and then further when they uh, drilled for oil? Was he a millionaire then or was he a millionaire when he bought the home? He was a millionaire when he bought the home because what happened was he was farming the surface of his land and he never went down deep. And Paul says in Ephesians 1, we are millionaires not because it's not about money, it's about the riches of Christ. We're millionaires because some of us don't realize what we have in Christ. Every spiritual blessing is located in the heavenlies in Christ. That's what the text says. That's, I'm not making it up. 
It's not my word. This is God's word. So if those if, if it's located in the heavenlies, the heavenlies would be the, the realm of the spiritual, the influence of the spiritual. So, so if you think about this, so I get blessed and you get blessed because of who Jesus is in us and through us, and we receive these spiritual blessings on this earth, but they come from spheres of the heavenlies. So if you think about this, I'm in heaven on my way to heaven because of what Jesus Christ has given me. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the gifts and helps us realize all that we have in Jesus Christ. So when you look at verse 3, we can bless God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, look at it, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's already happened. It's in the aorist tense, which means something that has already happened. It's a completed action. All because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's why we don't offer religion around here. We never offer religion to you. Religion is a dead-end road, but not a relationship. You can be here this morning and you don't know who you are. Your identity is determined by what the last person said to you or the last grade report that you got or the last... uh, football game that you played or the last band concert or choir or whatever it is. That's how you're identified. But you can change teams today and you can move into the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies that are in Jesus Christ. It's about being in Christ. We offer you a relationship with the God of the universe through the Lord Jesus Christ and it is an exciting relationship because the greatest thing that you ever will have going for you, it's that Christ lives in you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not what you do, it's what He's already done. And He lives in you to do through you whatever He wills to do in your life. Now, blessed be the fireworks that go off and explain verses 3 through 14. And I'm moving on a little fast here. Okay, here we go. We got a little time. Now, look at what He says. All of that is intro, and here's what He says. He chose us in Him. Look at the text. Just as he chose us in him. Notice that the choosing is in him. Notice what the text says. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He chose us. God the Father chose us. Think about that. Before the foundation of the world. Does that just boggle your mind? That God chooses you. If you turn into John chapter 6, go to John chapter 6. You can see this in John chapter 6, verse 44. That God initiates salvation. We have a responsibility to respond. But notice that it says here in, the, in verse 4, just as he chose us in him, in Christ, that God had a plan and his plan for salvation that, that we would be in Christ. So God initiates salvation. And it says this in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Go to John chapter 6, verse 37. It's talking about the choosing of God. Now, God chooses us. That's taught in Scripture. There's no question about that. But notice what John 7, uh, 6, 37 says. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, free will, to me, I will in no wise cast him out. 
So you see, it's not, does God choose? Do we have free will and responsibility? Is it this one? Do you lean to the right on this one? Do you lean to the left on this one? The Bible says, whosoever will may come. So how do you rectify in your mind, how do you resolve God's sovereignty and free will and man's responsibility? Does God choose me or do I choose him? Here's the answer, yes. It's yes. Because even later on in Ephesians chapter 1, it says the, God, the Father chose us in Christ. The Father knew that Christ would be the way of salvation. And he planned that before the foundation of the world. And later on in verse 13 of Ephesians, it says, In him you also trusted, that's belief, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you believed and were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So it's not an either or, it's a both and, it's a beautiful thing. It's God's sovereignty, his sovereign plan, and the free will and responsibility of man. So if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, you know, it's really neat when you're chosen for something, isn't it? When you're chosen, it means you're wanted. That's what it means. You know, the FBI has a top 10 list. Can I tell you something? When they want somebody, they pursue them. When they want somebody, they go after them. So, so if you want to marry somebody, many of you try to pursue somebody, right? That's part of it. If you want to date somebody, you pursue them. You want them. You are choosing to engage in this. And so that's what the idea of choosing means here, that we don't come unless the Father draws. But when He draws us, we respond in faith to Him. And Romans talks about the measure of faith that we have. So it's not an either or, it, it's a both and. And you can't reconcile this in your mind because God is way bigger than we are. And so why would, why would two friends have to be reconciled? A lot of people say, well, I'm, a, I'm in this camp over here. I'm going to have a debate. I'm on this side over here, and I'm on this side over here. I'm going to tell you which side I'm on, just so you can send me an email. I am exactly what verse 1 says. I am a saint who is in Christ and who is being faithful with God's Word. That's who I am. You can't tell me, and you can't lay man-made theology over my life. All praise goes to God. All praise goes to the Son for His work of salvation in my life. I am never attached to a man. I am attached to Christ. And Christ is the only way, and He has always been the only way. So don't worry about, is it this side or is it this side? I am not defined by what somebody says about me. I'm not defined by what a book says. I am defined by what Christ says about me. And God chose me because he wanted me. He's the hound of heaven. He is pursuing a love relationship with you today. He has had that plan before the foundation of the world. And when you say yes to him and find yourself in Christ, you will understand that he's been after you for a long, long time. He wanted you. He desires you. That's what the word choosing is. Let me see if I can explain it like this. So you want some other scriptures? There's John 6, 44, 6, 37, John 3, 15 and 16. Uh, you, you, you know these scriptures well. It says this, you want to see both of them. It says here that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him. Yes, God chooses me, but I exercise belief in him and it's belief into him. That's what that preposition in. Believe in him. It means into him. It means into his life. So how do you reconcile God's choosing? Let me see if I can explain it like this. Why would you have to reconcile somebody who's friends? Sovereignty of God, free will of man. 
Let's take Christmas, for example. Let's say you're, you're a, a parent and you have a big train set that's underneath your tree, and your son is going to get this big train set. So he's lugging around this big train set. He's like, hey, look at this big gift I got. And his sister has two little gifts under the tree. And he's lugging around this big train set going, well, look at what I got here. And the sister's going, well, why did I get two little bitty ones? And he's like going, well, why did you get two and I I only got one? And you try to reconcile. And here, so you've got children who don't understand the economics of Christmas Nor do they understand theology because one day they'll understand that the parent knows more than they know. And I want to tell you something. God knows way more than we know. He is an infinite God. His ways are higher than our ways. And I'm just not that smart. And so I'm going to trust that if salvation is a mystery, that somebody says, well, I'm carrying around this big train set. Why didn't I get two? And the little girl says, well, why didn't I get one? As if Bigger is better and little is worse. One is better than two and two is worse than one. What is it? Listen, it's reconciled in God's uh, predestination, His foreknowledge that He knows more than we know. And all we've got to do is not debate this. What we need to do is bow before Him and thank Him for the salvation that He's given us through Jesus Christ and not attach ourselves to man, but attach ourselves to Him. People want to know who Jesus is. They don't want to know, is it this or is it that? It's like the big train set and the two little presents. Just thank God for what he's already done. Don't get hung up. Don't go to coffee and debate and all this stuff. And get, Listen, churches divide over this issue. They divide. I pastored in the deep, deep south. Churches divide over this. Well, I don't like that. I'm going to start my own church over here. And so everything that's dividing us today, whether it's theology, whether it's music, all these things, Christ says, I came not to be divisionary, I came to bring unity. Can we get back to the unity of the gospel and just believe what Paul says in Ephesians, that if he chose us in him and we responded by faith to him, that is a blessing to God the Father through the Son, and that's worthy of our praise today. Now, Verse 4, just as he chose us, and I'm coming home, I'm landing the plane, in a couple of seconds, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You see, God has a will, and it's the good pleasure of His will. So what, the, what Paul is saying here is that God chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, that we should live our lives set apart and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us. It's a big word. It just means marked out before. That's what the word means. For those of you that have built a house, you had a plan. You had some drawings. You gave it to an architect, and that architect executed the plan that you gave him, and your house was built. It was predestined. It was marked out beforehand. God the Father had a wonderful plan, and the plan was that Jesus Christ would mark out before us the plan of salvation so that when we trust in him, 
then when he chooses us in him, we have come into the fulfillment of the promises of God and that has set us free. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. He has predestined us, look at the text, as adoption to, as, to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself to the good pleasure of his will. The word adopt here, it means to take from a sad place and put in a happy place. Think about this. Many of you have adopted children. And many of you have been praying. You knew the child before they were born that you were going to adopt. And you have crossed seas and you have crossed land because you uh, wanted that child. You were pursuing that child. So when you actually hold that child in your hand, from their standpoint, when they look at you, you, they would say from their standpoint, that's when I was adopted. You would say you were adopted long before because I was praying for you. I pursued you. You were mine. And that's the mystery of salvation, that God chooses us and He adopts us. And it shouldn't be a debate. It's a wonderful thing. And this adoption is an irrevocable adoption. According to Roman law, you would be adopted as an adult, not as a child. And so it was irrevocable. Think about that, that God loves you so much that he would pursue you. He would cross seas and lands if you take the adoption process, and he would be the hound of heaven that would come after you. And then once he adopts you through Jesus Christ into his family, then you are forever his. And once you're an adopted child, that's irrevocable. You can't go back on your decision, and he certainly will be faithful to his. And Paul says, be faithful in Jesus Christ because of this. So think about this. It's a beautiful thing, the sovereignty of God, how God works salvation in our life. And then he says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Because of God choosing us and us responding to him and the plan that he has marked out before him and us that salvation is only through Jesus Christ and the fact that we are adopted into his family, that he gives us value and he gives us worth and he gives us breath and he gives us life and it's all according to the pleasure of his will. Paul says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace. You praise God for that. You don't praise man. You don't debate this. God's sending a love letter to us. And we would go, well, does a love letter come in black ink or, or blue ink? It doesn't matter. It's a love letter. Don't get caught up in the details. What we should do is praise God for the work that he has, for the plan that he has. To the praise, look at verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That he gave us an opportunity to come into a love relationship with him through Jesus Christ the Son. And all praise goes to his name for this. You don't praise man, you praise God. Do you know what the word glory means? It means to give value and worth to the one who is the object of our love. Uh, when you think about reconciling sovereignty versus free will, let me show you how two people can make the same choice at the same time. Let's just say some of you have a little child. And that little child is standing at the edge of the deep end of the pool. And you have their hand. And you have foreknowledge, because you're their parent, that they are going to jump into that pool. Because you know they're a sinner, and you know they haven't come to Christ. And whatever you tell them don't do, they're going to do it. So you have foreknowledge as a parent. You are holding on to your, their hand. You have foreknowledge. Now watch this. 
You also have the choice. You have the ultimate choice whether you can let go of that hand or hold on to that hand. And when you let go of that hand, that child also made a choice to dive into the pool. But you had the ultimate choice to let go of that hand. So two people can make the same choice at the same time. And that's the beauty of salvation. When God draws us and we respond in faith to Him, look at what verse 6 says, "...to the praise and the glory of His grace." It's not something to debate. It's not something to get in an argument with. It's not something to split over. It's something that should unite us together because God the Father has the plan and we can submit to that and say yes to Him. Whosoever will may come. Are you a whosoever? I am. I made a choice. God did not force His will on me. He presents His will to me. I can choose Him or I can choose not Him. It all depends on where my identity comes from. Let me close with this illustration and I'll be done. My wife, she's going to kill me. Before we go out somewhere, she goes before the glory of her mirror. You know how ladies do. You know, we give our, our ladies time to be able to go and get prepared for whatever outing we have. So I give her time to go before the glory of her mirror. And she'll, she will do her thing, whatever her thing is. And it's a good thing. I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, she's beautiful with makeup and she's beautiful without makeup. I need to be careful with this illustration because... But we will go before, she will go before the glory of her mirror and I'm already shaved, like Cody said. I'm already shaved, so it doesn't matter to me. I just get ready. So she will get prepared. She will get ready. And then we'll get in the car, and the first thing that will happen when we get in the car is I'm trying to make a right turn, and the visor goes down. I can't see to the right. And she goes before the mirror of her glory just to make sure nothing has shifted, nothing has changed, maybe to touch up just a little bit of what we need to touch, touch up. Now watch this. We'll get to wherever we're going. I'm, I'm, I am having lunch by myself today. <laughs> and I thank God for it because I'm going straight to the cafe. And we get to wherever we're going. I would never sacrifice him. He said a good story for the truth. This is actually it's so good. We get to where we're going, and where does she go? To the bathroom to make sure that nothing is shifted, nothing is changed, nothing, nothing is different. Because, you know, she's going to be presenting herself. Somebody's going to see her. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's not pride. It's actually humility. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But if we could get as concerned about representing God and reflecting God as some of us do for getting ready for whatever event, then we would understand verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted. Listen, I am accepted by God because of the work of the Son. The will of the Father and the transformation of the work of the Son in my life makes me accepted. You may not accept me. I may not accept you, but I want you to know I'm accepted, not because of what I've done or what I will ever do, but because I can give praise to the Father and I can reflect His glory in my life because what you're really seeing in me and what I'm seeing in you is just Christ in me and Christ in you, and that's all done by His grace. Listen, this first chapter is an explosion of fireworks, of God's goodness to us. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, maybe your identity is in something other than Christ. Can I tell you something today? All you have to do today 
is put your faith in Jesus Christ. God the Father drawing you. God the Father saying, I choose you. I love you. I accept you. And you and I responding in faith and saying, yes, I will to that drawing in our life. It's a responsibility to say, hey, I want a new identity today. And you can have that today if you've never trusted Christ. Say a prayer like this, Lord Jesus Christ, save me from myself and from my sin. I want to have a new identity in you. And not only do I want to have a new identity in you, I'd like for everybody to know in that baptistry that I belong to you. Because it's not me, it's you in me. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What decision do you need to make today? Is it to trust Christ as your Savior? If it is, do it. If you've already trusted Christ as your Savior, you may be walking in an identity that is really already yours in Christ, but you're not fleshing it out and appropriating it. And you can say today, hey, it's not about the 80 hours of work a week I work. It's about who Jesus is. Realize who it is and whose it is. Whatever decision you need to make, you can indicate it on the card in front of you in the seat back, or you can go to the connection room. Our connection room is right behind these exit doors. Turn left and right. There are people there that want to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and listen, you're thinking, this is my last opportunity. I am really struggling. You have no idea what I'm facing today. Go to that connection room. Let us pray with you. We love you here, and all we want to do is tell you, Here's a relationship that can be afforded to you through Jesus Christ. He loves you. This book is going to be a great study. And I pray as we teach it and as we read it, we'll let the Word of God read us. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this moment of closing out our service. And I pray for people in this room that are really struggling with their identity. They they really don't know who they are. They don't know who they are in you because they've never trusted you. I pray for people that would today would make a decision to follow you as Lord and Savior. They would say, hey, my life is darkness. It's filled with sin. I have missed the mark of God's glory. And I choose today to follow Him in grace and truth. You can receive the free gift of salvation right where you are. Just cry out to God. Say, God, save me, and He will. Let us help you. Let us know about that so that we can put tools in your hand and materials in your hand that will help you in your new life and your new identity in Christ. Other decisions in this room, Father, would you just speak clearly to people in this room? Because we want to leave here right where we left verse 6. And verse 6 says, To your praise... And to your glory be all these things. Everything that we talked about, we reflect to you and say thank you for what you've already done and what you're going to continue to do in our lives. So Father, speak to people in this room. May decisions be made for your glory and for your good. And may they be done in humility, not pride. Father, teach us together. Grow us together in this 11 and 15 service that we would surrender to you, that I would yield to you, that we would walk together in a manner that's worthy of the calling, which Paul's going to talk about in chapter 4. Father, do your work in this church, in this place. We're not in Ephesus. We're in Harris County right now. But if we're in Christ, then that changes everything about us. 
God, speak to those that need to follow in baptism. Speak to those that maybe want to be a part of this fellowship. Speak clearly to them according to your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.